Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Coming up later, we learn more about medicinal plants, the foundation or roots of the drugs we have today. Dan Susla joins us. He's a retired pharmacist at the National Institutes of Health and curator of a Civil War period medicinal garden in Maryland. We also hear from a tea specialist in Westport who practices traditional Chinese medicine. We learn about consuming medicinal foods from a home garden like ginger and scallion. That's later. First, Connecticut Public's debate series continues in the lead-up to Election Day, November 8th. Last night, the Democratic and Republican candidates running in the 1st Congressional District talked about their stances before an audience at Manchester Community College. Connecticut Public's Ray Hardman was the moderator. Incumbent John Larson is running against Dr. Larry Laser. Are you watching? Do you live in the 1st Congressional District? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. For some analysis from that debate, joining us now on Zoom is Dan Haar, Associate Editor at Hearst, Connecticut. Dan, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be on. Uh, it was interesting to see the candidates uh, sparring uh, last night over uh, several issues. First up was Social Security. Let's hear a little bit of it. Your plan right now, either it's going to decrease benefits after five years, it's going to run out of money, John, in how many years? Four more years, it runs out of money. So those are facts, John. I, I, I'll talk those are facts. Not facts. The Social Security plan 2100 is paid in full, Larry. And you know what it requires no, it is Congress not, John. to vote? No, it Something, is not. yes, it is. No, it's not. It's paid in full. So, were you surprised, Dan, that, that Social Security was one of the, the first issues that was debated? Uh, yes, I was surprised, but I should not have been surprised because that is uh, Congressman Lawson's major, at, at the moment, uh, legislative initiative. And Social Security appeals to older people. And in a uh, in this election, there will be more than the usual number of older people voting, um, you know, because this is not, unfortunately, a, a, a big barn burner of a close election. We do have that in the fifth, which uh, we'll be talking about you know, going forward when that debate happens. This is a very interesting race for some reasons, but one of them is not the outcome. So let's talk a little bit more. I mean, most people know John Larson by now. I think he's seeking his 13th term. Uh, the lucky 13. <laughs> lucky 13. Uh, but who is Dr. Larry Laser? Dr. Larry Laser is a longtime 33-year uh, OBGYN at, uh, affiliated with Hartford Hospital. And um, he is a, a well-spoken and thoughtful Republican who is trying to uh, I asked him whether he was a new Republican or an old Republican, but he's certainly not much like a current Republican in the sense that he's uh, pro-choice, um, pro-immigration, pro a lot of things. And he is he does believe that the uh, election of 2020 was fair and that January 6th was hurtful to democracy. Um, and so he's trying to re—he he believes he's an old Republican, trying to bring back fiscal conservatism and not, thus the debate on expanding Social Security, which would, of course, cost a lot of money 
um, and that would come from uh, more payroll deductions among high-income people. Is it unusual for John Larson uh, to have uh, you know someone running against him? And and there was also some issues with a, a, a potential Democrat that could have run uh, in a primary. What can you tell us there? Well, uh, first, the answer to your first question, it's not unusual to have an opponent. He has not run unopposed, but he has not had any. Uh, I believe he has won with the nearly two-thirds to nearly three-quarters. I don't think he's actually ever hit the 75% range, but he is one of the most, depending on if you want to take the word pejoratively, he's one of the most entrenched Democrats in Congress. Um, and, you know, you can say entrenched. Well, he's work. He's long serving. He works hard. Mm-hmm. Nobody accuses him of not working hard. Um, and so what was the, the second question was? Well, wasn't there an issue with another potential Democrat? Ah, yes, of course. I forgot. You. Yes. <laughs> a young man of, of a young man of 27 or 28 years old who had never served in public office um, challenged Congressman Larson from the left, Mawad Harazi. And he failed to get even though he raised five hundred thousand dollars. He uh, largely from a national network that he was a part of. Um, he failed to get a, on the ballot, and he legitimately failed to get enough signatures to get on the ballot. And rather than just let that go and and let happen what happened, because he would have been less than a fly in a picnic for John Larson. Larson's legal team elected to join the lawsuit against this guy when he challenged to get on the ballot because of this, that, and the other thing, none of which were legitimate reasons. And I thought it was a misstep by a long-sitting congressperson. He should have just said, I welcome any and all. I hope he makes it onto the ballot and we can have this debate. But instead, he actually fought that. And I thought that was a misstep. Why do that, really? Right. And we talked about how long he's been serving in Congress. You know, that came up uh, last night in a question, I believe, from a viewer about term limits and the way John Larson <laughs> answered that. It seemed like, you know, he's used to that question, given his uh, his long tenure, uh, Dan. Well, he is. Uh, he, along with uh, Congresswoman DeLauro in the New Haven area, are the, the two long serving. Um, I, I say long, you know, <laughs> Joe Courtney in the second is has been there for, what, 16, 17, 14 or 16 years. But uh, they're the two really long-serving people. And, you know, that's a that's a sign of entrenchment, but they do both work hard. I thought his answer to that was the opposite of term limits. He wants to see a four-year cycle because he started mm-hmm. by saying, right. um, and we should start by saying Larry Lazor, of course, does want to see term limits, like a lot of outsiders and a lot of Republicans. So he's clearly both uh, an outsider of politics and a Republican, so he wants to see uh, a, a 12-year term limit, which is a popular uh, option when they poll on term limits. That does pretty well. But John Lawson said he wanted to see a four-year cycle staggered. So that seems to me the opposite. of Having to run only every four years would have its advantages because we wouldn't have this absurd uh, nonstop campaign, but it, it would also further entrench people. Right. You're hearing Dan Haar here where we live as we talk about the first congressional district, uh, the debate the Connecticut Public hosted last night at Manchester Community College, uh, John Larson running against Republican Dr. Larry Lazor. Uh, you know, we heard uh, Lazor criticizing Larson's spending as a longtime member of, of Congress. Uh, one of the quotes uh, Lazor said last night is on, about his opponent, John Larson. He thinks the more he spends, the more you'll like him. He was also critical of Larson's student uh, supportive, Larson's student loan debt forgiveness, and of course, infrastructure, the tunnel proposal. Here's how uh, John Larson responded. 
you have amnesia when it comes to the Republicans' idea of help. You didn't mention at all the $2 trillion tax cut that was given out in the Trump administration, 83% of which went to the nation's wealthiest 1%. So how would you describe that response, that exchange, Dan? I think it was to the wealthiest 3% in reality. Numbers get a little. Uh, I would say I agree with both. Uh, it is absolutely true that, that whether you say the top 3% or the top 1%, is absolutely true that the December of 2017 tax cut by Trump and the Republicans without a single Democratic vote was a handout to the rich. There's no other way of putting it. And it is also absolutely true that all of these multitudinous projects, and John Larson went into great detail, biblical chapter and verse about this, you know, all the money that's going to the district. And Larry Lazer is correct. That adds up. Does that add up to be the what causes inflation? I would argue no, because inflation, we've always had that level of congressional spending. But I would nonetheless say that it, it is a, an issue. And so both are right. And they're following in that regard. Laser is no different from the Republicans mainstream. They are following the playbook. John Larson is saying we care about people and we prove it by spending money. Larry Laser is saying you're spending too much money and that's causing a problem. And that really that there you have the typical playbook. Oh, I mentioned infrastructure is something that John Larson has also brought up many times, including the tunnel idea. Did you want to talk about that at all? I don't I don't think we would we would be remiss. <laughs> if we had a conversation about John Larson in Connecticut and Frankfurt and, and didn't talk about the tunnel. Now, you may notice he's not talking as much about the tunnel. He rolled out the tunnel a few years ago. This is the project that would bury the not only the intersection of I-84 and I-91, but much of I-91 in Hartford would be buried so that we would recapture the riverfront, like those cities that do that. I think San Antonio, I'm not sure. Uh, and it would also bury a mile or so of... Route 84 going back to about the Aetna Viaduct there. And that's a disaster, of course, for the city of Hartford. It would bury it and it would go under Colt Park. So this is a project that would make the big dig in Boston look like a, a repaired valve at a, at a water pollution control. This is this would be, it's unimaginable that it would less, be less than 60 or $80 billion. And of course it would reclaim Hartford. There's no question that it would be good. But Larry Laser's point about the tunnel is that while you're talking about the tunnel, there are other priorities that we are losing track of that, that could and should be addressed. And of course, uh, John Larson's response is, no, we're not losing track. And that's when he started to list all the things that are happening and off we went into the fiscal conversation. But the tunnel is unlikely to ever be built. I'm not sure whether if I had a vote, the only vote I would vote for it or against it because it would be about 10 or 12 years of hell uh, while, it would be, while it was being built. Uh, what were some of the other moments that stood out to you, Dan? Obviously, health care came up and, of course, abortion. But this is where uh, both candidates actually agree. Yeah, I think on, on, on reproductive health, Larry Laser said that it, it, it's you're trying to paint me like a Republican, but he's not. And the, the big the most interesting exchange in that one is that Laser is saying I could have a big influence on that bill. John Larson is saying you've hitched yourself to the wrong wagon, Larry. By the way, I should say that, that this debate among the uncountable numbers that I've covered over the years broke the record for each candidate using the first person, the first name of his opponent for the purpose of trying to sound derisive, right? Larry Lazer's, he kept saying, John, 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 John. So, it, it, and you know the tone. Um, it, 
his argument is that I'm sorry, Larson's argument is that he's hitched to the wrong party. The Republicans are trying to take away rights. Laser's quote was, I could probably have a big influence on that bill, that bill being the abortion bill in Congress that the Republicans would like to pass, which Larson incorrectly said was a, a, a total ban on abortion. It's a near total ban. Um, it's a practical ban on abortion. In any case, that to me is the most important question in this. If you do elect a moderate Republican, Let's say Connecticut does not want to send a vote of assent to a Republican caucus in the House under Kevin McCarthy, should he become speaker. Let's just say that the voters agree we don't want that. Would it be effective to send a Republican who is a voice against extremism, or would it be better to just not send a Republican to that caucus? That's the core of this debate here. And um, we're not going to have an answer because Larry Laser is effectively, as he put it to me last night, I have to catch lightning. And it's not inconceivable that he can win. And he is a definitely serious candidate. He's not a frivolous candidate. Um, but something has to happen here. And he was upset about the lack of debates. So. Right. Uh, again, you're hearing Dan Haar as we break down the uh, first congressional district debate last night uh, that Connecticut Public hosted at Manchester Community College. If you live in the first district and you wanted to bring up some of the issues that stood out to you, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. Mary is calling in from Hartford. Mary, go ahead. Hi. I just want to mention there's a lot of skepticism about the concept of improving mobility in the Hartford area, and people point to the concept of a tunnel. But what's often overlooked is that the best part of the Big Dig, the quietest part of it, was the opening of the Ted Williams Tunnel, which takes the Mass Pike directly under the harbor to Logan Airport and has vastly improved um, transportation in the Boston area. And it was a turnkey operation, and it was done, I think, over a decade ago. And, um, you know, the skepticism of what could be accomplished uh, ought to be mitigated, and we ought to uh, be grateful to John Larson's vision, not only for Social Security, but for his interest in improving the transportation in the Hartford metro area. Thank you, Mary, for your comment. Dana, do you want to respond? Yes, I don't think anyone's questioning the congressman's sincerity. The question is the practical reality of both cost and the size of the project. This would be much bigger than the Big Dig. And the Big Dig at the time in 1996 was the largest public works project in the history of America. Uh, it came in at $13 billion. I, you, you can't say the largest because, you know, a highway can count as one, but it was the largest sort of single spot fix. Um, no question, it has done wonders in Boston. And it would do wonders in part, but that's not a question. There is no doubt. If the if you could snap your fingers and say, bury I-91 and I-84 in Hartford, oh my, my goodness, that would be a, a, a reawakening for the city of Hartford. Right. Oh, uh, something else that uh, Larry Laser uh, challenged John Larson on was having more debates. Uh, you'd mentioned this is not going to be a, a close race. Uh, when we think about, you know, what you are expecting to see in the first district in the lead up to Election Day, um, Dan, what can you share? Well, what the, no incumbent who is heavy, heavily in the lead, and that includes Governor uh, Ned Lamont, wants to have very many debates. Bob Stefanowski in that race wanted to have six or even eight, and Lamont, uh, he agreed to only two. It's the same thing with this. The downside of having more debates is part of the onus has to go on the public. On, on, right? and how much interest is there in these debates? 
And I think there was interest in this debate. I hope viewership last night was good. I don't know whether it was, but these things are hard to catch on in an, in an age of fractured uh, uh, popular culture. So there's a, there's also a demand side, but I, I there's no question that Larry Glazer was upset and he tried hard during the debate to get uh, Congressman Lawson to agree to more debates, which of course did not happen. Good evening, hearing Dan Haar, his associate editor at Hearst, Connecticut. Dan, uh, thank you uh, for your perspective, and we'll have you back soon. It's great to be here, here in the first congressional district, <laughs> and uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. Coming up after a short break, we're pivoting because it's the time of year for warm soup and cups of tea. But what plants and herbs make for a good medicinal garden? We're going to hear from a a former pharmacist and master gardener. And later we talk to a tea specialist and practitioner of Chinese medicine. You can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Medicinal plants are the foundation or roots of the drugs we have today. For more on the history of medicinal plants, Dan Susla joins us. He's a retired pharmacist at the National Institutes of Health and curator of a Civil War period medicinal garden in Maryland. That's at the uh, Antietam National Battlefield at the Pry House Field Hospital Museum there. And he's also an advisory board member at UConn School of Pharmacy. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lucy. Happy to be here this morning. Now, Greg, I mentioned that you're the the curator of the Civil War period medicinal garden. It's fascinating. So tell us about it uh, at the Antietam National Battlefield. So I've been a volunteer at the National Museum of Civil War Medicine here in Frederick, Maryland since 2011. And one of the sites that the museum manages is the Pry House located on the Antietam National Battlefield, as you said. And years ago, they had a combination sustenance medicinal garden on the property. Actually, the garden is on the actual garden site that the Pry family used uh, in the 1840s through 60s. And the volunteer who had managed that garden went off to grad school and it it kind of fell into disrepair. So I talked to the curator of the museum and asked him, would you mind if I took it over again and made it into a medicinal garden? He said, sure, have at it. 
So in June of 2016, my wife and I and a couple of other people basically started from scratch uh, and replanted the medicinal garden. And the purpose of it was to plant a garden that would have been representative of the 1860s, both uh, in the plants they would have had in the garden and what would have been typical in a mid-Atlantic garden during that time, so during the time of the Civil War. So I did a lot of homework and quickly realized that there was nothing unique about the mid-Atlantic area in the 1860s and the fact that medicinal plants go back thousands and thousands of years. Um, the first medicinal garden was the Garden of King um, Tutmosis III in Egypt in 1000 uh, BC. So medicinal gardens go back 3,000 years. And as my wife and I toured medicinal gardens around the country and around the world, we realized there was nothing unique again to the mid-Atlantic area. So we started planting a number of plants. And <clears throat> the next iteration of that garden really started from looking at period pharmacy and medical textbooks of what were used as therapeutic agents in the 18 early 1800s to the late 1800s so looking at plants i could document in period correct 19th century textbooks those are the plants i started to plant in the garden and that's essentially what we have in the garden right now we have between depending on the weather and the varmints we have between about 30 uh, five to 40 plants with the ultimate goal of maybe achieving about 50 plants in the garden that are period correct and Greg, can you give us an idea of, of a couple of those plants that you have in the medicinal garden and then thinking about how some plants are still used today when we think about the medications we consume? Sure. Uh, so there's quite a few of them. Uh, one is foxglove, so digitalis lanata, which is a source of a drug called digoxin, which is used to strengthen the heart in a, in a failing heart or to slow the heart rate down. Uh, we have uh, St. John's wort, which is used for depression. Um, and I think my favorite plant in there is ephedra. Ephedra goes back probably about 5,000 years. Uh, and ephedra is still the source of pseudofed or pseudoephedrine that we use today for nasal congestion. Um, another favorite plant of mine is witch hazel. So if you think about witch hazel uh, coming from Dickinson's witch hazel in Essex, Connecticut, uh, we have that and that's used as an astringent, uh, which people may use on cuts and bruises or uh, older gentlemen may use post shaving. Uh, we have English thyme and thyme is a source of thymol. And if anybody uses Listerine, they uh, look at the back of the bottle of your Listerine and you'll see thymol as the primary agent in, uh, in Listerine. It's really uh, interesting to you uh, list those for us, uh, Greg. If our listeners have questions as well about medicinal gardens, the number is 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I mentioned uh, your connection uh, to Yukon School of Pharmacy also has a medicinal garden. It's ornamental. Um, some of the, the plants and, and trees that they have include willow. Can you talk about that at all? Sure. Willow is a source of aspirin. And so uh, <clears throat> I think that's important when you think about some of the common agents we use today, you really kind of lose perspective of how long they've been around and what their source is. Uh, but the current medicinal garden at UConn has a willow tree and willow is really the willow bark is really the source of modern day aspirin, although it's probably synthesized in the lab today, rather than being harvested from willow trees. Uh, but it's the source of aspirin, one of the oldest uh, analgesics we have on hand. 
Now, when people think about medicinal plants and, you know, there is a, a movement, some people uh, think about things that they can grow, that they can uh, use, uh, maybe they have anti-inflammatory benefits or uh, ways that they can make home teas. As a, a retired pharmacist, you know, what are your suggestions or even your concerns about that? Sure. I think that no one's going to argue against traditional Chinese medicine or uh, Ayurvedic medicine, traditional Indian medicine. Th those teachings go back thousands of years. And you know, our next uh, discussion is going to talk about that. But I think the modern layperson in America really needs to understand that medicinal plants, as they're stated, contain medicines. And just to give people, a, I think, an important perspective, when you go to a pharmacy, whether it's in Portland, Maine or Portland, Oregon, uh, and you get your prescription, that product's going to be a single entity prescription, whether it's for blood pressure or, or whatever. When you go to your backyard and pick that leaf, that berry, that stem, that root, whatever, there may be the therapeutic agent in that part of the plant, but also keep in mind that you're ingesting potentially dozens of chemicals. Each plant or part of the plant doesn't contain just one chemical that's used to treat a symptom. There's dozens of potentially dozens of chemicals in that plant. So you're consuming the active agent, you're consuming contaminants and other agents that may be inactive. So it's important to remember that medicinal plants, as they're stated, contain medicines. And so they're not benign. People think sometimes that, well, it's natural. And I've had people tell me when I've given discussions and talks, well, it's natural, so it's safe. Not necessarily. And so you have to have a deep respect and you have to understand how to use these plants correctly. And it's not just sowing some seeds or planting some plants in your backyard. It's that also it's knowing when to harvest these plants, what parts of the plants to use, and more importantly is how to prepare these final formulations. Now, I think an important story to keep in mind as we come to cold and flu season, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, the flu vaccine was a mismatch. And there was a lot of articles across the internet and a variety of other documents talking about using elderberry syrup. Well, with the explosion of recipes for elderberry syrup to treat colds and flu, all of a sudden, I got inundated in my inbox with my daily pharmacy downloads saying that if elderberry syrup wasn't prepared the right way, that there is the risk of cyanide uh, toxicity. And we all know that cyanide is lethal. So when you think about something as benign as elderberry syrup, uh, it must be, must be great. We can use this instead of the flu vaccine or as an alternative to it. Oh, by the way, if not prepared correctly, uh, it'll form cyanide and that could be lethal to the ingestants. So it's important to respect that although these plants are beautiful, although they have thousands of years of history of use and benefit, that if not used correctly, uh, they can cause harm. And one final story that here in the Frederick, Maryland area, we get the Georgetown University uh, quarterly newsletter. And they had a story about a young woman who wanted to live a very holistic life. And she did yoga and things like that, but she also was into herbal remedies. And unfortunately, uh, the herbal remedy, one of the herbal remedies or multiple er herbal remedies that she was taking damaged her liver to the extent that she needed a liver transplant. And so I just caution people when they think about it in the wrong hands and not following expert advice that not only may you not treat something effectively, but you also may cause harm to yourself. And I think that's important uh, always to keep in the back of your mind.
So what you're saying, and when people think about medicinal gardens today, you know, thinking about growing particular plants more for ornamental uh, versus uh, consumption? That's what I, I encourage people to do. Because th- when I give tours of our garden, I, people ask me, well, what should I plant in my backyard? And the first question I ask them is, well, what's your purpose? And if they try to say, well, I want to treat this, that, or the other thing, I try to discourage them from doing that. But if they want to plant an ornamental garden, then I can give you lots of remedies. And also, I'm a fan of pollinator gardens. So there's a, a lot of medicinal plants like hyssop and bee balm and, and uh, whorehound and things like that that are wonderful bee and butterfly magnets. So if you want want to have a historical medicinal garden in your backyard and also want to encourage bees and butterflies and you can plant an ornamental garden or a medicinal garden that also has uh, ornamental properties and it'll be a really nice way to sit in your backyard on a summer day and watch the bees and butterflies you've been hearing greg susla here where we live a retired pharmacist at the national institutes of health uh, but also a curator of a civil war period medicinal garden at the pry house field hospital museum on the antietam national battlefield in maryland and also an advisory board member to the yukon school of pharmacy greg it was a pleasure uh, to get your perspective and it should be an interesting garden to check out uh, next time we're down in maryland great thank you lucy Again, that was Greg Susla. Coming up uh, after a short break, we're going to talk to Way Bertram, founder of Arogia Holistic Wellness uh, in Westport, about practicing traditional Chinese medicine and planting and consuming medicinal foods like ginger and scallion. First, this is the second week of Connecticut Public's Fall Membership Drive. Have you supported the station with the pledge? Here's how. Good morning. I'm Kyone Wolf here with Cat Pastor and Katie Talarski, taking just a second out of where we live. I know you don't want us to be talking too too much because you'd rather hear more about this medicinal gardening. But we are we're asking you to become a member of Connecticut Public to renew your membership. If it's been a little while, we have a one thousand dollar goal, which we are about to smash. And it's just a matter of whether or not you want to be part of smashing a $1,000 goal and sending the people who run this company a message by saying you love where we live. You love Lucy and the whole staff that brings you this hyper-local programming that gives you these peaks not only into the way that our our plants grow, but also the way that our politicians grow and develop <laughs> and weave in with us and analyze uh, some of the more nuanced conversations that are happening. So the number to call is one 800 584-2788-ctpublic.org slash donate is where you can see all the cool gifts, which you know we're going to tell you about. We're hoping you do it right now this morning. Hey, Katie. Hello. Good morning. Uh, Again, ctpublic.org slash donate. I feel like Where We Live is a show that really leans into the public service mission uh, of public media um, around the coverage, you know, generally around the pandemic, uh, definitely around elections, uh, Lucy and her team are are here in studio with candidates doing uh, long-form interviews, giving uh, listeners a chance to weigh in. Uh, Connecticut Public has been doing this debate series, as we've heard about. Um, and uh, w- Lucy, again, is is kind of the morning after doing these recaps with, with reporters. Uh, we heard from Dan Har this morning. So that is, again, just a great public service, a great uh, way for listeners to understand kind of the landscape of politics in the state prior to the election. 
If that's uh, maybe one reason why you tune into the station to better understand, to better uh, be informed prior to elections, please support this program. Support it now, 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org slash donate. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Sujata Srinivasan, who is our um, new health reporter here at Connecticut Public. And she is um, so she's doing a bunch of reporting on the news side. She's also producing uh, Wednesday's shows on where we live all about health related issues. So um, we're learning a ton from from those and we're appreciative of her, you know, expertise bringing that every week. So a great team. I love, love working with the team. And we're asking you to support all of the work they do uh, right now. one 800 800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org slash donate. And it is wild how many people it takes to, to get these things <laughs> on the air, both on the TV side and the radio side. It is truly a group effort. All the, all the little details are taken care of, all the big ones too. And so your support for Connecticut Public helps keep that, helps keep our team really, really strong. We are doing great so far. We have a $1,000 goal and we are almost halfway there. So a heartfelt thank you to a friend in Southbury, to Pamela from Mansfield Center, Connecticut. Pamela is a great name. That's my mom's name. So clearly, across the board, great people great named name. Pamela. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I know that some Pamelas, they like Pam, but my mm-hmm. mom is Pamela. Mm-hmm. So ne- never call my mom Pam. Uh, Lisa from Manchester is a renewing member. Lisa, thank you so much. Jeff from Vernon Rockville, uh, thank you so much. They, Jeff says that uh, their family loves the programming. And Cheryl, also from Vernon Rockville, uh, says that they have a long commute and it's the best part of her commute. So thank you, Cheryl. A lot of representation from Vernon Rockville this morning. Uh, but we are halfway through to this $1,000 goal. I know we're going to get there. That number is 1-800-584-2788, ctpublic.org slash donate. It's the time of the year where we have to say the magical words that unlock all the heartfelt holiday feelings, which are L.L. Bean 24-inch traditional balsam wreath. Katie, you're a master. How much is it a month? $13. Oh, $13 a month. That's just easy breezy. Pine cones, faux crab apples, holly berries. Kion, you should write a song about the L.L. Bean wreath. Don't threaten me with a good time. be something we need maybe for next year. Let me see what I can do. Yeah. 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org slash donate. We do have this wreath. Uh, again, I've, I've mentioned this before. I did get the wreath last year. Finally, I've been talking about it forever. It's gorgeous. It's so, it smells so good. It's It was lovely. So definitely worthwhile. If you're going to get a wreath, this is the one to get because you also support Connecticut Public. Um, there's also some cool socks. There's all sorts of thank you items at ctpublic.org slash donate. The important thing is that you call now and support where we live, support all of our local programming, our, our reporters, our producers, 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org. Uh, again, 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org. And thanks so much. This is where we live on Connecticut Public. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, we check in on the ongoing war in Ukraine, and we get an update on the Ukrainian refugees who have come to Connecticut in recent months. Has your local community welcomed Ukrainian families since the war began? We want to hear from you, that conversation tomorrow. Now, earlier, we learned about medicinal gardens. My next guest is a tea specialist and practitioner of Chinese medicine. On Zoom with us, Wei Bertram, founder of Arogia Holistic Healing in Westport, Connecticut. Wei, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so, so looking us, forward to this. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your, your background and what led you to open up uh, this wellness center. Oh, yeah, I grew up in Shanghai in the 70s, and um, there was uh, still an instilled sense of value towards the health and longevity. 
So as the, like uh, my parents um, just show me so much appreciation of that connection with nature. So the traditional Chinese medicine, the culture always like integrates that sense of connection and a me- more a meditative approach to the way we live on a daily basis. Uh, whether it's uh, like our cooking or medicinal use of Chinese herbs. Um, I always loved the tea and the wellness culture in China growing up, which is what I'm really helping to bring forth to this culture here. And I have been in America uh, for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. So I think the friends is the friends, friends, the piece of uh, the pace of America, the modern American culture, the life. And learn how to slow down and appreciate that what I feel through a simple cup of tea or growing your own medicinal herbs. So talk more about that because there is a growing interest uh, when we think about um, deriving healing from plants. Uh, but again, it's uh, thinking about they're less uh, close to the medicine and maybe closer to the food category. And so, you know, how do you advise uh, people who are looking uh, to use particular teas or herbs? I think Dr. Greg will say something really very, very important because um, the word herbs People just think it's it's natural and uh, then something it's not, it's very safe. But actually the in the in the complete herbology world, the herbs, every single herbs has um, its own category and what they do and uh, on this both all the complete spectrum, we work with more a food grade mm-hmm. on a daily basis. It's on the safe level. And other medicinal herbs, people really should seek special, special practitioner for the mice. You also list something called adaptogens. Uh, so can you describe what that is and, and you know, how uh, you help people uh, think about incorporating that into their uh, consumption? Yes. So I, once I, I have the, the best advice in my life uh, from a friend and a client was, he said, instead of uh, in, find what to buy, what to sell and uh, it, it's best is, is, is to invest in yourself, learning various skills set to, you know, skill sets to make you stand out or invest in your well-being so you can sustain good health in your mind, body, and spirit. So allow you for unlimited opportunity. So I always, um, like, think of that. And uh, so then come back to what we were saying. Mm-hmm. Every day, adaptogen, adaptogenic herbs uh, belongs to the category of the herbs that they can regulate your stress level and that they can adapt to your body's uh, energetic systems. So we love um, the adaptogenic herbs to, um, to grow that and to consume them on a daily basis, which is really important today. Can you give us so, some examples? Yeah, like like gin, like every day I use ginger and the garlic, even scallions and the tosi. Um, so you can make them. Um, we can talk about the recipe, and uh, but we can start from just how to actually in Connecticut you can grow them very easily. So, like when you can go to the store buy um, the ginger ginger root. You can even go grow them and um, from the rhizome and you can and ch- take apart a the ginger and you can grow them on your own. And the garlic, you can grow the garlic clove 
and uh, make into garlic bulb. And scallions, they usually, uh, instead of um, keep buying from the store, you can just buy one time. And it's very easy to regrow. You, um, and when the scallions have the root, and you can just uh, plant them in a pot. And the tosi is something very easy to grow as well. So all these um, uh, to, like adaptogenic herbs, and you can use them for making tea, or you can make and can, you can dehydrate them to make um, spice powder, and uh, you can make them uh, salves. There are so many different ways to use uh, homegrown herbs in Connecticut. Mm. That's really interesting. So when we think about these aptogenic herbs that you've mentioned, or herbs rather, uh, when we think about you know what it it's helping in the body, you know, you know, can it help deal with stress? Can you talk about that at all? Yes. So what the body sometimes um, when it when we started to feel like no hundred percent sick or just feel a little bit off, and or even when you feel really good. So let's say. If you feel that now the season we're hitting the cold season, and so the scallion is really good for, um, for like especially the white bulb part. If you make a cup of tea from that, it really helps the throat and for sore throat because produce uh, the mild level of perspiration. So it really helps to detox in your body's um, in a warm cup of tea, and you can feel good. It's like. Traditionally, when we're not feeling well a month, uh, chicken soup makes you feel good. It's something that really brings that warmth and soothing and it helps the body to feel good. Mm. So which is can combat a lot of uh, imbalances, not necessary illness, but it's just feel good on a daily basis. And that's what the adaptogenic herbs and the wellness. So you stay, you stay well. So because health is not about combating disease every day, it's about stay away from just like we could say not just the ab- uh, absence of the symptoms it's about just staying well so mm-hmm. all these nature natural herbs and uh, on a daily basis can really help you to sustain health so that's that's a really actually we're talking about the quality of life right and the, this is what you see when when people walk mm-hmm. through your doors that's what they're 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 looking for way yes we have, um, it's really about education because we have been uh, talking about the same thing about how to promote the importance of promoting health, staying healthy. So to, um, to our clients and uh, we also have a um, wellness blog, stress, because it's so much about education. So, and um, when the clients walk into the store and they're looking for some um, saying like, oh, okay, the seasonal changes and I have allergies or how can I feel a little bit tired or from everything very mild on a daily basis and all these herbs that we have and from the dried, even from the home, homegrown herbs you can use. It's very easy to use. You've mentioned scallions a couple of times. Can you yes. share a recipe with uh, our listeners? Oh, I really love scallions. So when you, um, I usually have a, a pot of scallions at home, like from if the store bought scallions, once you can just plant it, they keep growing. They just like regrown. It's on its own. It's really sustainable. And so you can chop the top and they keep growing out. So then I can just cut, you cut them into slices. And just from that, you can make a cup of tea or it, it can be 
any kind of soup as the topping or ramen noodle soup at the end, or the white part and the bulb, and you can just um, chop into slices, usually about one teaspoon. You put in a, a, a mug and uh, boiling hot water, you steep for five to seven minutes, and that can really help soothing the, the throat and uh, in the cold season. Thank you uh, for for sharing that uh, with us. Uh, uh, when we were talking with uh, with Greg earlier, you know, he mentioned you know people need to be cautious, and I mentioned that you're a practitioner of Chinese medicine, and so um, you know the understanding that this is both a, a medicine uh, and also the art. Uh, and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. Oh, totally. And uh, Dr. Greg mentioned he he grows uh, ephedra. Uh, which is in Sudafed and a lot of medic medication. So ephedra actually was um, banned in in the, in the United States in 2004 due to the misuse by the, the consumers. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine for over thousands of years. And it's it's really good for treating asthma, bron bronchitis. But the problem is um, people use it for losing weight. So in order, because it, it creates um, perspiration, it makes your body to um, to create a detoxification-like kind of um, um, effect. So the average uh, consumers don't understand the side effect from using overdosed ephedra. So they use it for losing weight, which is misusing the ephedra. And uh, there wasn't any regulation that time. So... So people using buy lots of they using lots of ephedra on a very misused basis, and it can be very uh, can be damaging. Mm -hmm. So I think FDA is it you it cannot be used for commercial level, but you can grow and you can use if you know what you're doing. So so on the on that note, it's really important to to understand what you are putting in your mouth, and especially not natural is always safe. So we usually recommend people to um, you grow the, the food grade medicinal herbs mm -hmm. and the other um, herbs should be really seeking the professional help. Right. Professionals like yourself. Uh, practitioners, right, yes. <laughs> certified uh, herbalist, certified right. Chinese medical practitioners or naturopathic uh, doctors and uh, all these people who are there, they are trained to understand the medicinal level and and dosage, especially dosage. That's what the ephedra was uh, got into mm -hmm. trouble because of dosage. Well, we really appreciate your perspective on the show. It's been really informative. Wei Bertram, again, founder of Orogia Holistic Healing in Westport. Thanks for sharing that recipe as well, Wei. It was a pleasure to hear from you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Sujata Srinivasan. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. Again, tomorrow we'll be getting an update on the war in Ukraine, hearing from Connecticut residents who've been helping support Ukrainian families who've come to our state. Uh, but again, before you start the rest of your day, this is the second week of Connecticut Public's Fall Membership Drive. Uh, here are two of my colleagues to tell you how you can support this radio station.
You can support programs like Where We Live by calling 1-800-584-2788 or go online to ctpublic.org slash donate. I'm Katie Tularski here with Kion Wolf and Kat Pastor. And uh, we are listening alongside with you to Where We Live, to uh, Morning Edition this morning. Kion's been on the air for quite some time. (laughs) I'm in a special place right (laughs) now. Oh, yes. And we are so, uh, again, grateful to those folks who have called in and are helping us to reach our $1,000 goal. Kion, I'm going to have you do the the math there for me. No. (laughs) Brain, no. (laughs) Well, I think the math is that we are either have are close to or have have reached the goal. So we are definitely in a great place right now. One eight hundred five eight four two seven eight eight or ctpublic.org slash donate. Uh, there's still time for you to call in and support um, this program. Our hourly goals are so, so important to help us reach our overall goal. This this entire drive is two days shorter because we want to give you back uninterrupted programming. So again, so, so important that we uh, reach these goals, surpass these goals, and continue to bring you this programming. 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org. I won't make you do that. <laughs> Thank you. That shows that you care. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Kenneth from Derby called in, and they're a renewing member. They say they're a longtime listener and always up-to-date and fair and balanced, thought-provoking shows. They love all the shows. I love all the shows, too. Where We Live is a staple in our programming. It's It's been around for a long time now, and it really is unlike anything else. And we're so grateful to Lucy and her whole staff for making it happen. And it's you who really does make it. You are the engine underneath all of this. The fact that we even uh, say, uh, the fact that we have this um, fundraising idea as a way to keep us going is pretty wild. It shows that we trust you. We trust you to stand up because you trust us to be really honest with you and bring you the most important stuff. So we're hoping this morning you can be a part of the enormous wave of contributions and donors and people who've said, yes, I love Connecticut Public. I want to get an LLB 24-inch traditional balsam balsam wreath as well. Or any of the thank you gifts that you can find at ctpublic.org slash donate. That number again to support where we live, to support Connecticut Public, to support our entire mission that I know you so deeply believe in. That number is 1-800-584-2788, ctpublic.org slash donate. Katie and I talked earlier about the traditional balsam wreath by L.L. Bean. It's $13 a month. But there's another thing that's been uh, quite popular this morning. You can donate food with, through our partnership with Connecticut Food Share. For $10 a month, you can donate 25 meals. For $24 a month, 60 meals. So whatever thank you gift you'd like to snag for yourself in this coldening season, that number is 1-800-584-2788. Thank you so very much for supporting our work.